So glad you're here today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want to turn in the Bible, you to turn first and put your finger there, and then we're going to put your finger in John chapter 15. So most of you go to John chapter 15 first because it's real easy to find. But the next book's not so easy. Song of Solomon, the most X-rated book in the Bible. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. If you, some of you ladies like those old steamy novels. Y'all need to read this. It's like, wow. So second, uh, uh, the, the second chapter of Song of Solomon, and then the, fifth, uh, the uh, 15th chapter of John, the Gospel of John. Now I'm going to try something a little different today, simply because in my, in my notes here, simply because I couldn't get the printer to work. Has no other reason. It's not a spiritual thing whatsoever. I just couldn't get the printer to print, okay? It picked up every printer except the printer that I needed to print on, and the one that I'll usually print on was out of ink. So, I, so you know, if you see me flopping back and taking a minute, it, it's, it's, it's not, it's just, hey, printer wouldn't work, amen? So um, I'll get my IT department right on that. You know what Hunter always says about the IT department, don't you? It's that link. Jeremy, it's that link between the, the chair and the keyboard, which is me. So uh, if you're wondering, amen. Um, today I want, I want to talk to you. Uh, let's, let's start there in a Song of Solomon chapter 2. Um, but I want to tell you something first. Uh, we're going to go to 2.15. Um, so if I have to put my glasses on a lot today, you know that I'm reading from here because my notes are over here and they're not on the same page. So, um, so the other day I was watching a channel, um, the AHC, American Heroes Channel, and I watched a deal on Chernobyl. How many of you in here are old enough to remember the Chernobyl nuclear disaster? How many of you are in here? Some of you weren't born then, but some of you remember. And that was in 1986. Um, I was still a young pup then. Still am, just not as much of a young pup, okay? And so in 1986, uh, this nuclear, everybody had the threat of a nuclear war. How many of you remember it was always the Russians and the Americans were going to go at it and going to annihilate the whole world. The whole earth was going to be just gone. And so uh, with the idea of nuclear... Uh, annihilation in the back of our minds or really not even in the forefront, there was this nuclear reactor in Chernobyl, Ukraine that um, had a meltdown, basically, is what happened. And it sent a nuclear, a nuclear cloud, radiation cloud, um, all the way up uh, to, to Russia, I mean, it was just all over Europe. It was everywhere over there. It was just crazy how far this thing traveled. And many people lost their lives uh, due to a radiation leak at Chernobyl. Now, here's the funny thing. As I watched this documentary, only 31 actual deaths were caused by the meltdown itself, that, that little window of, of, of a few weeks. That's all that was accredited. Now, we know there were more, but that's all that, because uh, Russia was in control of Ukraine at the time, by the way. And so that's all they put. 31 graves is all that's marked that was a direct death. 
But there's been thousands and hundreds of thousands. The number hasn't been known yet, but somewhere in the half million to a million range of people who have died from an indirect cause of Chernobyl, radiation. They waited uh, about 48 hours on the little town right next to where the, the uh, I can't say it, Paprika, I believe is the way they kind of pronounce it, the little town that was actually built so that the workers could live there and be close to Chernobyl. And they waited 48 hours, and they were the closest in contact. When they went in to clean these areas up, workers could work. They could go out and work 15 to 20 seconds in all this gear, which was limited, and then have to run back into a safe place and be uh, deradiated, I guess as you say. And they would go out and send crews, and they would come back and do that. And I mean, so powerful. And many kids, they thought, well, they're going to be fine. Now these kids in 86, so that's uh, 96, 06, so you're 26, 7, 8 years. Many of these people have developed leukemia, bone disease, and different things because of radiation. Now, my son-in-law works with radiation. I, I, I don't really know all of the effects of that, but I know he has to put some kind of lead, something over there over you and stand behind this and that and the other, do whatever he does, he does, okay? And so I know its, it's, it's effect is huge. And I'm telling you this story because I'm, I'm going to tie it in with our scripture today. That was horrific. And so many people from then till now have lost their life and lost loved ones. Vision and hearing, all, all tooth loss, all kind of stuff related to this meltdown. And this is what, I, what, what blew me away. That the alarm went off for 48 hours, a buzzer, for 48 straight hours in the, in the reactors, letting them know you're on the brink of meltdown. You're on the brink of a disaster. An alarm for 48 hours, a concert. They played in the, in the documentary, they played the sound of this. They said that after a few hours, people just started ignoring it completely. This alarm was sent off when it detected a certain amount of radiation that had begun to leak. This alarm would go off and it was to tell the controllers in this huge room to shut the system down. It was getting too hot. They ignored that because the upper command of, of the, the controllers, the head engineers, the head scientists, the head uh, physicists and all that said, let's just see how fast we can drop this nuclear reactor and it still stay intact and still not harm any. Problem is, they didn't know that it would drop so fast. And as you know now, years later, they're still dealing with that. You, you probably don't know this. I didn't know this until I watched this. But it, it took the United Nations, NATO, and all the other people put in that $1.8 billion to build a dome, a second dome, to go over this to hold radiation in. You say, Pastor, what does that have to do with Scripture? Uh, a whole lot. Just watch. <clears throat> that can be just like you and I. There's alarms that are going off in your consciousness every day. 
that you ignore. As a matter of fact, it's almost like those controllers to say, it's going to be all right. Someone above me is in charge, so it was not going to fall on my responsibility. The four head scientist physicians went to, went to prison for some over 10 years. Some, a few criminal charges, not many, but most of them are already working back in the nuclear field, by the way. So they, you look at this and you say, oh, how does that relate to me? Second, the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, second chapter, verse 15, says this. Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. This passage of Scripture was probably written from Solomon to his very first wife. There is some debate, but probably his very first wife. You know that first love where you say all the ooey-gooey things and all that. And, and this, if you read this, this is like, dude, this is all right. They, did put, they ought to put this in the movie. This would be an X-rated movie. And so they... He wrote this to his wife, and he gets down to this part in the scripture, and he's so passionately in love with his, his, his wife. I mean, he loves her with everything, and he never wants to see her leave. He doesn't want to have any divisions whatsoever between him and his bride. Come on, you, you, you know you're a bride, right? And he wanted no division, and he pin these words, catch us, what does it say? The foxes. The foxes here, metaphorically, that's the enemy. He said, catch us the foxes, the little, he didn't say the full grown, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. This first line starts with a bold, demanding statement. Catch the foxes before they get bigger. You hear the alarm before it goes into meltdown. Take care of that little fox. Catch it while it can be caught. Before it gets too big, before the fox gets too wise that you can't apprehend it. Catch it when it's small, when you can handle it, you can deal with it. Catch it then. He, he says in, in the next verse, the foxes are the enemy that is out to spoil the bounty of the vine. That's their purpose. These little foxes come to spoil the vine. In other words, not to really kill it, but to take the spoil or the bounty, the booty of it, if you will, the tender grapes. In the next line, it says that they have come and we, because we have tender grapes. The fox was coming. They loved to nibble at the low-hanging sweet grapes. It made the best wine. And they said they would come and spoil the whole crop by that. They would, in other words, get our bounty. And what Scripture is trying to say is be careful because the enemy, the devil, Satan, is out not to get the big things in life. He's out for the little things in your life. He's out for your attitude. He's out for your, the way you think. He's out for your emotions. Everybody nowadays is offended, Wesley. I'm just offended. Why? Because you wore a shirt, white shirt and didn't wear a jacket. I'm telling you, people get offended over everything nowadays. How many of you know that people get offended over everything? And when they get offended, you're no longer their friend. Yeah. 
you can't communicate because I'm offended at you. Okay, well, whatever. But an offense, the Bible speaks of an offense. If you've offended someone, you go make it right. Offenses are a big thing. Do you know that an offense caused the first murder in the Bible? Cain and Abel. One was offended at God because he didn't like the offering, didn't like what was going on. And so what did he do? He killed his brother. An offense will turn into murder. Do you know that the little fox of an offense in your life will cause you to ignore the alarm that the Holy Spirit is putting in your life? And it will cause you to say, I'm not going to pay attention. They hurt me. I've got a right to feel this way. I've got a right to be this way. They don't know what I've, they've done to me. And I tell you what, I'm going to be offended. If you're not careful, that offense, that little fox spoils your vine. And the offense turns into hatred, and hatred turns into murder. And the Bible says we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. So I'm going somewhere, just stay with me. Solomon knew that it would be the little things, the foxes, that would steal the love, the passion, the enthusiasm for his bride. The devil doesn't come at you and jump up on the, up on the pew and say, I'm here and I'm Satan and I'm here to destroy your life. I'm here to jack your family up. I'm here to mess you all up this week. I'm here to put division between you and your wife. I'm, I'm here to do those things. It doesn't happen that way. I'm sorry. I wish it did because we'd have some great, on fire, strong Christians because we could see that. But he does the little thing. He slides in so discreetly. The Bible says that the enemy is the most cunning. He's the most subtle enemy you'll have. He's not going to announce his intention. He slips in and causes you to think a certain way about your spouse. And Solomon knew this. He said, I don't want to think any other way about my bride than this. I told you a while ago, did you know you're a bride? Amen. You're the bride of Christ. And what happens, the enemy, just as he did Eve, he slips in and he says, are you sure that God wants you to do this, that, or the other? Are you sure God loves you? You know, that bad thing happened to you, and why is that? You know, they offended you at the church. The preacher didn't talk to you at the back door. You ought to be mad you pay his salary. Come on, get home now. Y'all didn't think I'd say that, did you? You pay his salary. He ought to be beckoning to your call. I hear an alarm going off, but I ain't paying attention. <laughs> you should hear the alarm going off and saying, oh, that ain't the way it works. Come on, the offense comes in. The enemy comes in as a little a little fox, and spoils what God has intended for you to be. He's called each and every one of us to be a disciple of Christ, to bear fruit. There's only one thing that would keep us from bearing fruit. We're fixing to read it. Turn to John chapter 15. Hey, if you have trouble finding stuff in the Bible, these little old strings right here, man, they're awesome too. And they got this thing in the front of the book tells you every page, every, what's on every page. Um, 
You know, you know, when you're growing up, you, you look at the Bible and you think, well, I'm not very spiritual if I can't find it real fast. And I can't even hardly tell you my address real fast. And I've been there for 15 years. I mean, golly, you know. How many people go read the Song of Solomon, you know? Titus, 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 what? Where is Titus in the Bible? You can flip through it this way and this and miss it five times. Hey, quit being spiritual. It's the little things. Find the book. Amen. Verse 15, uh, chapter 15. We're talking about the vine and we're talking about the little foxes that spoil the vine, right? So what the Bible says, Song, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, the little foxes that spoil the vines. Watch. Now, I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking. Now, I want to tell you this. This is one of only three books uh, in, in the New Testament that I can, that I, well, I know this to be true. It's not that I can find. This is true. One of only three books where Jesus starts the first sentence, the first word of the first sentence, and he ends it, the whole thing. There's three books, Matthew 25, I think Matthew 6, and this one. Every other book, there's some interjection by, by someone who was there. There's an eyewitness account. But in this passage of Scripture, John chapter 15, the whole book, Jesus starts it and he ends it in first person. Now, why do you say that, Pastor? Who cares? You do. You need to. Because when, if you have a Bible like mine, I have the red letter edition. How many of you have a red letter edition Bible? If you don't have a red letter edition, I don't push Bibles, but you ought to get one red letter edition. Amen, because that's what Jesus said. So what reason I'm telling you is this is first person. This is words from Jesus. It's not someone speaking for Jesus that they were there. This is Jesus himself saying this. So there's no confusion. If, if I, my children, when they were growing up, if daddy said take out the trash, there was no confusion what he said. I was very clear, probably loud and clear, take out the trash. They didn't confuse that with, I wonder, did he want me to take out the trash? I wonder if mom's okay with the trash being run over. I, I just wonder what he meant. No, they, they understood completely better. Dad said take out the trash, and in their back of their mind somewhere, my dad's crazy. I better take out the trash because the little foxes of me thinking something that really wasn't there is going to get me, going to get my booty. Some of y'all pick up on that a minute as it goes through there. Booty's also bounty, also riches in the Bible too. Glory to God. And this is what Jesus says about himself. First person says, I am. This is the seventh of the seven I am's in the Bible. When Jesus says, I am, take note, I am. There's not a question, right? I am. When I say, Jeremy, when I say, I am my uh, Samantha's, uh, what, what would I be to her? Her father. When I say, I am Samantha's father, I am Samantha's father, guaranteed. I'm her father. No DNA test needed. She's mine. When Jesus says, I am the somewhat of the vine, I'm on the branch somewhere. No, he says, I'm the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. Now watch. Here we find uh, there's two things happening. He identifies who he is. Jesus says, I'm the vine. Then he identifies who he is. The father is the husbandman or the vine dresser. Now, we believe at this church that there's the triune Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all wrapped up in one, but they have distinct differences in purposes, and here we see two of those. I am the vine, and he's the vine dresser. 
two different roles, but the same. Come on, somebody. So we see this, and then he says, then he looks in verse 2, we look in, and we find this. Well, let me, let me give you a couple definitions. So I'm, I'm, my notes, I'm sorry. I'm going to jump back and forth, but stay with me. The word vine means, is the word you way that you pronounce it, haliso, and it means to roll up or to put together. Jesus says, I am the true vine. It means I'm here to roll you up, put together. I'm here to put you together. What does the Bible say about reconciliation? Be reconciled to He's here to put us back together. I don't know about you, but before I came to Christ, I was broken. I was messed up, jacked up. I was in all kind of places. I was going this direction and that direction. But God said, I'm the true vine. If you come to me, I can roll you up and put you back together, son. Amen. I thought that was wonderful news. I was excited about that. I said, that sounds like a plan for me. Sign me up. Amen. I signed up with Jesus. Got put together somewhat. But then the other part of Jesus comes along, Fonda, the father, the vine dresser, the husband, and oh my goodness, what a different role he plays in my life. Watch. This husbandman or vine dresser. Georgus, and it means vine dresser. Have any of you ever had any grapevines in your yard or that you took care of? Or muskydines? I like muskydines. Work you to death. I moved into the property room now, and the guy was a green thumb. He had everything. And, man, he had, there's about 40 feet of, of muskydines. Matter of fact, blade on your property, those muskydines came from that over there. I don't have them anymore, do I? I had four sets. I'm telling you a story. Stay with me. Four sets. The, the trunk of the vine was this big around on each one. Came up and it had a, a little wire fence like, like a clothesline. And it came up and it went this way. It was trained because of the pruning. And then right behind that, three or four feet, there was another vine. And this one had small purple grapes. Oh, some of the best ever. Full of seeds, but man, they were. The next one over here in the front, so there's four. One, two, three, four. There's the next one over here. Those big old juicy muscadines. I'm talking about my little apricots. Seedless. Right down the mower and just stick out your hand, grab your handful. Just. <laughs> Behind them was the white, huge white muscadines. Seedless. And behind my small red muscadines was the white small ones, full of seeds. I loved them. And I thought, man, this is going to be awesome. They were so bountiful. I mean, the first couple of years, it's like we would slide tarps in and shake them and they would fall down. Like, wow, have you ever had muscadine jelly? Glory to God on a hot homemade biscuit with lots of butter. Glory to God. But you know what? I said, well, I'm going to keep these things up forever, Fonda. And so I go out there, first couple of years, and I'm thinking, man, this is good. And I got those little clippers my hands aren't designed for that. <laughs> you take 40, 50, because you, you can't clip them all. You got to clip them in the right spot at the right time of the year to make it work. So I'm doing all that. And I had a pretty good crop the next year. And the next year, pretty good. But I said, you know, there's a better way. Hedge trimmers. 
Work smarter, not harder, right? Something told me, you can't do that. You know what it was that told me that? All the research I've done on how to prune and take care of vine dress my musky dimes. But I thought, well, they don't know me. I've got favor with the Lord. It won't happen to me. I'm highly favored and I'm blessed. He said, well, you're an idiot. Man, they look like awesome hedges. They quit producing because I didn't take care of them correctly. What happened? The little fox come in and said, Marty, you don't have to do it that way. Just because they say that on the internet, just because you've done research, that don't mean that you have to do it. I think you ought to try it this way. Boy, it sounds like a lot of people. Just because the Bible says it is, you ought to, you can do it this way. You're okay. You don't really have, you don't have to do it just that. Does that really mean that? Yeah. It really means that, especially here in John 15. Yeah, watch this now. You can be mad when you leave. I'm not trying to make friends. You know, I want to preach to you. I ain't trying to be a friend. Uh, amen, okay? I, I want you to grow. Come on. I'm going to get to heaven one day, and, and he's going to say, now, Marty, you could have toned that down a little bit. You're a little bit crazy up there. You're a little bit strict, a little bit tough, but you told him the truth. To the best of my knowledge, I'm telling you this truth. And when you read out of this book, it's the truth. So watch this. Every branch in me, in who? Me is a pronoun right here explaining that he's talking about Jesus because Jesus is speaking says, I am the vine. Every branch in the vine, every branch in me. So are we clear? If you're in him, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. See, that's what I would do when I'd vine dress. If it, if it wasn't produced, you could tell whether, whether they were produced after the leaves fell off. You could tell whether that thing was a dead one or wasn't doing any good. And you snipped that one right off. You didn't snip off the good ones yet. You got to get a little more growth on some of those to make them produce like they need to. But you take care of those dead ones because those dead ones was a hindrance. He says, every branch in me that does not produce, does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth. In other words, he vine dresses. He cuts off that bad. He challenges you not to watch that on television. He challenges you not to say that. He challenges you not to make those gestures. He challenges you not to click on that button on that internet. He challenges you to be nice to your wife and love on her when you don't want to or your husband. He challenges you to make that cup of coffee and put it in front of her, even when you had a knockdown drag out last night, even when she don't give you what you want, men. Boy. Mighty quiet the Pentecostal church. Because y'all heard that. He purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. When you're going through a trial, it is not so that because God is mad at you. It is not because God's upset at you. It is God sees potential in you. And God says, if I can get that old thing that's holding him back and cut that off, look, he's going to bear even more fruit. Your trials and tribulations are not. So he can say, I'm God. Let's see, I'll do what I want to they're to say, I need you to bear more fruit. 
Read it again out. Let's read it out loud. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. I don't know about you, but every time I've been cut, it hurt. When you get taken away something that I got used to, it hurts. That's why you got nine, nine buildings in your backyard. You got stuff and you don't even know what's in there. But you ain't going to get rid of it because you say, I'm going to use it one day. You don't want to get rid of anything once you get it. He says, but he prunes, he removes, he takes away that it may bear more fruit. What? You. That you bear more fruit. You say, well, I thought I was doing good. You are. But God wants you to do more. I've always said to the leaders in the church, when you start doing more, your reward is you get to do more. Praise the Lord. Let's hurry on. I ain't in a hurry, but we're going to move on. Verse uh, 3. It says, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Verse 4 says this. So, so you're clean. You're good, okay? You're in the vine, all right? You got two options here in the Bible. How many of you know you got two options, right? You can be in him or you can be apart from him. You're either in him or you're not. He makes that equation, not pastor. If you're in me, and you ain't bearing fruit, I'll take you away. Then that means you ain't in him because you've been taken away. If you're in him and you bear fruit, he's going to prune you so you'll bring more fruit. That's what I thought you would say. I said the same thing. What, Lord? I don't want to do more. How much more? Can you give me a list of things you want me to do? See, right there, your heart's already, the little fox came right in and started nibbling at you. You don't have to do more. Wasn't the cross enough? Wasn't the blood enough? You don't have to do more. You shouldn't have to serve more. You shouldn't have to, it's not about kingdom building, not really. It's not about that. Well, I'm sorry, but either you or your thoughts or your, your commentary or whoever your, your mentor is, is either lying or this word's lying. Because he says, if you're in me and you bear fruit, I'll prune you that you can bear more fruit. Now, I'll let you figure out who you think's wrong. But just so you can get some help, this isn't wrong. Amen. Glory to God. I thought you liked that point. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. That word uh, abide simply means it's a minnow. Not, not, not like fishing minnow, but M-E-N, with one of them crazy lines above it and sideways and O. So minnow, minnow, minnow. And this is what it means. It has three definitions. It means to remain, not to depart, or to continue to be present. Let me read them again. Here's what that word abide means. To remain, not to depart, or to continue to be present. We have a problem in America today. We have a lot of fathers that have fathered a lot of children, but they're not present. They fail to remain. Come on. And the little foxes come in when you fail to remain in him. When you fail to say, I'll be present with whatever you're doing, Lord, in my life. 
I'm going to be present. I'm going to show up for duty, Lord, on Monday morning when I go to work and there's a person that's just going through all kind of stuff and he says, my wife's leaving me, taking the kids. First thing comes to his mouth, but I don't have enough money to pay for them. Well, I would suggest sticking it out and figuring out how you're going to do that. See, I never had that problem. That's where we step up on Monday morning and say, now I'm about kingdom business. I'm in the vine. I'm connected to the vine. Lord, what do you want me to do? Maybe you've been pruned. Maybe you've been vinders. Maybe you went through that similar situation last year, two years ago, three years ago, and you learned how to cope and how to deal with it, and now your relationship's up on the right track again. Maybe you take what that vine dressing moment in your life, and you say, let me help you with it. Let me be about kingdom business so you can bear more fruit. It says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. You can't do it on yourself, with yourself, in yourself. It's not about you at all anyway. It's about him not being in you, you being in him. What does it say? Abide in me and I in you. You got to get in him. You get in him, he's in you. You got to get in Christ to be able to do what Christ has called you to do. We got too many pastors running too many churches on great creative skill and ability and talents, but no anointing and no Jesus involved. And people are dying, going to hell. Well, praise the Lord. You cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. You gotta have Jesus to get to where you're going. You gotta have Jesus to do what he wants you to do. What you've been called to do. You've got to have Jesus and you gotta be connected to him. And anything apart from that will leave you wondering what you're supposed to be doing, where you're supposed to be. How am I gonna do it when I get there? It doesn't matter. If I get connected to him, it'll work. Praise the Lord. Can, can I, look, let's just stop a minute. We're talking about Jesus all in red and let's just give him a hand clap of praise. Because some of you are just so excited. I know you were ready to get it out of you. Verse 5. Here again. He again says what he wants you and I to get. I am the vine. Who's the vine? I'm the vine. You are the branches. What are you? What are you? Here's that role play again. A while ago he said he was the vine and the father was the husband, right? Now he says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. He called you the branches. If you was wondering if there was some underlying deep meaning about branches and that really wasn't me. And who, no, that's you. If you're reading it, it's you. You are the branch. He's the vine, you're the branch. That doesn't mean we're not, we're not talking about if you've been called, not been called, if you've been chosen, whatever. It's if you're listening and you're not God, you're the branch. Praise the Lord. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth, there's that word again, abideth to remain, not to depart, to continue in me. And I in him, the same bringeth forth what kind of fruit? See, it's not even a question if it's good fruit or bad fruit. If you're in him, it's going to be good. The question is how much? You notice this? When he first starts, starts out vine, prune, vine dresser, the pruning is not about what kind of fruit. It's how much fruit. 
Now, I'm not telling you this so I can get you to sign up on a work list coming Saturday. We don't have work day Saturday. Although it would be a good message, Bobby, in front of a work day. Amen. Can I get a witness? My point is, it's not about that. It is about how much fruit you're to bear. That's what he said. I'm going somewhere. Just stay with me. The same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Can I love on you with tough love? You know I love you. But I want you to listen to this one more time, this little passage of Scripture. latter part of verse 5. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Leads me to ask a simple question. If Jesus talks about the how much fruit you're bringing, and that is equated to whether or not you're in him, And you ain't bringing much fruit or any fruit. Leads me to another question. How much are you in him or are you in him? Think about it. He says you got to be in him to bring forth fruit. And if you ain't in him, you ain't bringing forth fruit. So that's an indicator. The Bible says you'll be known by your... Doesn't even say what kind. I hope you love me. Because I love you. I'm not here to beat anybody up. I'm here to challenge you. To let's get connected to the real vine. Let's get plugged into him. I want our fathers to be plugged into him. Look to bear fruit in our homes. And much fruit. And then much more fruit. I know what it looks like when we have, spiritually speaking, fatherless homes. You know what it looks like? Here, 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 right there, right there, right there. You get my point? This is what fatherless homes, spiritually, looks like right here. We got a whole row here, too. Here, 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 here. That's what fatherlessness, spiritually speaking, looks like because there's no fruit. That's what it looks like. You cannot tell me that if Jesus Christ is the greatest thing that ever stepped from heaven onto the planet earth, that he saved us from our souls, that he forgives us of our, si- uh, from, forgives us of our sins, he saved our soul, and he, this is the best we got as a spiritual father. This is what we think of. Because there's enough people that dot this church through the week. I'm not even talking to the ones that are here. Because you're here. I'm talking about to these empty seats. There's enough people that have been in this church in the last three months. 
that there wouldn't be an empty pew. If fathers would say, get up, we're going to church. We're starting something new today. Not a New Year's resolution, a new idea of who Christ is in my life because we're going to bear fruit. Get up, kids. I know you're 10 and you got the world figured out and I know you run the house, but not today. Reminds me of a Western I love to watch. I like Westerns. It's called Tombstone. And at the end of the movie, at the shootout, the OK Corral, Beth, at the OK Corral, I remember the sheriff, the county sheriff comes out and he's looking at, um, oh, the good-looking fellow. Looks like a lot of me. Uh, Fido. Wider. I said Fido. What? I don't look like a Fido. Wider. <laughs> but that good-looking fella in there, what's his name? Come on. No. Come on. I know y'all watched the movie. This is okay. You can say it. I watched it. Kurt Russell. Sheriff comes out and he just takes his little staff and says, all right, arrest all these men. Kurt Russell turns around and says, I don't think I'm going to let you arrest us today. And walks off. And I'm thinking, man, that's awesome. I'm ready for the fathers to stand up on Saturday night and say, I don't think I'm going to let anything hinder me from going to the house of the Lord tomorrow. We're going to get up and today we're going to the house. I don't think I'll let the little fox come into my life, into my family tomorrow. We're going to go to the house of the Lord. It's time that we start making those things in our house, those decorations say, we're going to the house of the Lord. Oh, you got a tummy ache? Well, maybe Jesus will heal you when we get there. If he don't, we'll get, stop and get you some Pepto pills on the way. But we're going to the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. Oh, and when they get here, don't stick one of these in front of them. Side note. If a man, verse six, if a man abide not in me, can we all read that out? It's on the board right there, isn't it? If a man abide not in he, who is, wait a minute, hold on, he, who, that's the pronoun, he, who, who's that talking about? Me, you. He is, a while ago he called you a branch. Is there any question that he's talking about the branch? Is there any question he's talking about you? He is cast forth as a branch and is withered. I'm not even going to give you an opinion piece because I don't need to because here it is. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are. I used to burn the clippings. Guaranteed, Kathy, they did not produce fruit. They were burned. Praise the Lord. I know you're loving it. And men gathered him and they were burned. Let's go to verse 7. I'm going to stop here in just a couple verses. If you abide in me, oh, there's that word abide, remember? To remain, to be present. Come on, not to depart. If you abide in me and my words in you, oh, there's key right there. There's a key phrase. Did you catch it? Somebody tell me what it was. Did you? Word. If my word abides in you, 
John 1 and 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We believe, as said earlier, the triune Godhead. That's part, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's all. If the Word abides in you, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, he changes gears. If you abide in me and my words, while well, God says, if you, if you abide in me and I abide in you, he wants you to paint, he's painting this clear picture that it's my word that must abide in you. How is the word going to abide in you if you don't read it? It cannot. It is impossible for the word to remain in you not to depart from you if you don't read it to know what it says. True. True. There is some application upon your part in order for you to remain in him and that is to get in his word so that he can be a vine dresser to you, your situation and your family so that he may prune those things. A lot of our family issues are caused by me. Told some of our men this the other day. My wife's sitting here, so I'll confess. She don't know this. He's cutting today, boy. I'll tell you, he's cutting some stuff off of me. I was praying for my wife here a while back. I was being holy, Jeremy. Glory to God. I felt the goosebumps and everything. I mean, it was, it was like one of them holy moments. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all ever had those? You ever had one of those rusty on the comment? Oh, glory to God. I felt, mm. Be cutting the air conditioner off, making sure it was God. Do it again. I just want to make sure that it wasn't the air. It doesn't hit me down my back when I'm sweaty. Come on. I was praying for my wife early one morning, laying in bed. She's asleep. I'm praying for her. I'm just, Lord Jesus, if you'd help her here and this and to this. And Lord, I, I had a list. I was working my list. I was holy about my list to you, honey. You don't even know this. Some things you just move on about. And I'm praying, have my hands on. I was doing everything spiritual. Man's supposed to be in the house. And I'm praying. I almost spoke in tongues a few times. Boy, I was getting with it. Boy, I was doing it. And I finished up. And the Holy Spirit said, when are we going to get to your list? <laughs> Lord, we was praying about her. I'll get to me later on. Lord said, we need to get to your list. When I started praying about my list, all of a sudden the things that I thought was on her list began to get small. Matter of fact, some of them just moved out of the way and all of a sudden things started to get better because most of the problem was because I wasn't abiding in the word and wasn't treating my wife like Christ treats the church. That's an amen moment, honey. You hear what I'm saying? These moments sting they hurt. The vine dresser began to cut a few things at an opportune time because I was in the word and I was praying. I knew to pray for my wife, but all of a sudden, attached to the vine, the husbandman comes out and says, let me snip that part off. And by snipping that off, a lot of her problems went away. Come on, Somebody. I'll let y'all preach next week on this topic. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done for you. Boy, I got a whole take on that. Can I expand just a minute? I got a minute. Let me expand on it. Ask what you will 
It'll be done. I asked the Lord, Lord, help my wife in her attitude. Lord, help my wife make me breakfast every morning. Lord, help my wife do this. Help her to do this. Help her to do this. I asked him to help, and you know what happened? A lot of that stuff happened. Because it was me that had the issue when he got me lined up, those things were unimportant. They didn't matter. And all of a sudden, what I asked for really happened. It just didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen. But the end result is that I'm okay. I'm preaching better than you're amen in me this morning, I can tell you. Herein, watch this, herein, if you were wondering, he could have just put that one word, herein, but they couldn't be two shortest verses in the Bible. So they had to, you know, because Jesus wept is the other one. So, so herein leads us to, to know that he's talking about everything we just talked about in those previous chapters, right? Um, previous verses. Herein, in other words, here in that, but he also says, I know some of you slow. Some of you like your pastor, you, you got to get it, you got to get it plain. So he says, herein, and then he says this, is my father glorified? In what? Well, what we just talked about, but he's fixed to be very clear on how the father's glorified. That you bear much fruit. So, Read it. Instead of ye put me, so shall me or you be my disciples. He's glorified when you bear much fruit. You want to glorify God? Bear fruit. Well, in this situation, I see what you're saying, but in this situation, the fruit's it, you're in him. Right? Bear fruit. Much fruit. And what are you going to do when you do that? You're going to glorify God. The Bible says, if he be lifted up, now I know what that means. That, and he be glorified, he'll draw all men unto him. You know what that means? If he's put on the cross. That's the literal meaning of that. If he's lifted up from the earth, he was about that far from the earth. But there's also a, a metaphorical meaning too. But if we lift him up and glorify him by our fruit... Guess what? He'll draw men unto you. You know why men aren't drawn unto you? You know why women aren't drawn unto you? You know why your children ain't drawn unto you? You know why your children don't want to come to church? Because they see you come to church. You want to know why? Maybe it's just a ritual. Maybe there's no fruit. I'm beating you up this morning. I'm just taking this word and opening it up so you clearly see you can either bear fruit or you, you're not bearing fruit. That's what this, this passage is talking about. You're a fruit bearer or you're not, period. You can't read anything else into that. We could have read a million things. Oh, are you saved? Did you go to hell? Did you get, I, forget that. That ain't the message. The message is are you a fruit bearer or you're not fruit bearer? Here's the cool thing about this. You don't even have to ask God if you're a fruit bearer or not. You already know. You don't have to go to a college course at seminary to figure out whether you're a fruit bearer or not. You already know. This is not rocket science. We're not building another Chernobyl. We're just trying to bear fruit. Amen? Amen. Will you stand with me across this building?